0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Ivy Nation Sports Talk. We're up and rolling with... Notre Dame football midweek mailbag day. How you doing? It's Jesse Steyers on one end, Sean Steyers here on the other end. We've uh, we've had a rainy day here in South Bend. How are you guys uh, in Cleveland holding up?
2: Uh, just some spotty rain showers here and there throughout the day. Not a whole lot. Kind of like 15, 20-minute patches. Um, so, yeah, nothing... Nothing too crazy. I have some volleyball to play after this, so hopefully the uh, the weather can stay nice going into the evening time.
1: Yep. well, Salty, uh, with, with, I guess, a bit of a hat tip towards you. He was about to say, nice on the timing, but yes, it is, Jesse, and not Vince. And notice the time. It just hit 6.01. So we are off and rolling. And it is mailbag night, so get your questions in. Just a few questions in the old bag right now. Uh, We've got uh, quite a bit to get to in rapid fire a little bit later. Jess, Vince and I ranked our top ten players on the roster, on the Notre Dame roster, yesterday. I have Sam Hartman at number one. Vince has Joe Alt at number one. Who would be number one for you? on the Notre Dame roster. This is an age-old classic debate.
2: Do you go with the guy who is obviously going to play the sexier position and lead you to more wins, or are you going to go with the guy who's the most talented at his position and probably going to be a top-10 draft pick? So for me, I have to look at what is going to contribute the most to Notre Dame as a team and their success. Um, And that's Sam Hartman, because he's going to do more. Like if we were looking at, like if there was a war stat, wins above replacement for football, I think that Sam Hartman would provide more war than Joe Alt would. So I would have to say Sam Hartman, just because he's going to give you more wins in the win column than what Joe Alt could. Notre Dame, not that I'm saying they would be better off with Joe Alt, but if Joe Alt went down. Without Joe Alt, you mean.
1: Yeah. yeah,
2: If Joe Alt went down, there's still four other linemen and, you know, some – some very they have talented depth along the offensive line it wouldn't be quite as a drastic of a blow uh to lose joe alt compared to sam hartman
1: yeah sam hartman stands to make them much better than you know just what you said that i didn't think about the uh the analytical view of it but you're right like if you looked at it as a wins above replacement type deal i think that notre dame you know like that's 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 a question, you know, that we've already had here from different points on this show. If something happens to Sam Hartman, you know, what happened, you know, how good can they be when the next quarterback comes in, whether it's Angeli or Minchie? You know, we we haven't talked about Alt, but they've got a lot of good offensive linemen in that group. And I think the drop off would be farther at the quarterback position than it would be at the tackle position, even with a tackle who, you know, we're talking about as a first round draft pick next year so all right good tiebreaker so tie goes to sam hartman let's get to some questions salty wants to know how would you rank ohio state usc and clemson in order of difficulty for notre dame this season so this is
2: it's a tough question because difficulty versus concern I think are two different things in, in terms of um this I would say so if we're looking at difficulty and that's just looking at roster alone matchup etc I think Clemson is the easiest so I would put Clemson as uh Clemson easiest three. Yeah, that, yeah that would be number three least difficult um number two would be USC I see this is hard because USC obviously has a Heisman quarterback, but I think Ohio state as a whole is better. Uh, Like their whole roster, uh, their coaching dynamic, et cetera. I think that I I'm more afraid of that um, when compared to USC. So I think I'd go USC too. And the most concern I would put is Ohio state or sorry, the most difficulty But then that order kind of flips for me (laughs) in terms of concern. I'm most concerned about the Clemson game. Um, and I'm least concerned about the USC game, and then the Ohio State game is kind of in the middle there for me. So I think that Ohio State is the most difficult, and Clemson is the least difficult, but I think that they pose different concerns based off of, you know, last year's matchups, uh, you know, home and away this year, and I know that I have said it to you before, and I don't think you necessarily agree. I just I have a bad feeling about, you know, the taste that was left on Davos Sweeney's mouth after leaving South Bend last year and then Notre Dame coming into Death Valley this year. So that's why that game is of concern to me. And I'll actually be at that game. I just bought my tickets a couple of days ago. I'm going to be at the Notre Dame and Clemson game. Nice.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all
1: Yeah, I, you know, you've got to put Ohio State at number one, even though they lose C.J. Stroud. By then, they'll we'll know a lot more about. And some of this is going to depend on the quarterback. You know, like as a whole team, with the exception of the quarterback, Ohio State is a very known commodity. Obviously, just coming off a, a playoff berth, whereas USC, as you mentioned, they've got a Heisman Trophy winner. They've had more roster turnover again in year two under Lincoln Riley but the fact that they've got Caleb Williams who stands to be the number one pick in the draft and just a lot of uncertainty you know a lot more transfers coming in once again one thing that stood out I was just working on a little project that'll be up on Irish Breakdown here pretty soon Duke and USC were one two in turnover margin in the nation last year and I think actually it was USC number one Duke number two but both of them in their first year under a new head coach vaulted to the top of the you know the nation in terms of turnover margin last year I think it was 29 turnovers forced by USC and like 26 for Duke how sustainable is that I you know I really from year to year turnovers like you can coach forcing turnovers obviously but turnovers also tend to be fairly arbitrary you know like even just recovering a fumble like you can dislodge a ball from a ball carrier but actually recovering it because you're talking you know uh, uh, about a a, a, an odd shaped sphere out there in the football we all know that it takes funny hops so you know like they both had to rely on that quite a bit in year one and Notre Dame is obviously going to face both of those teams this year how how replicable is that how are they able to duplicate that so I would still put USC number one I would put Clemson number two I would flip-flop it with you because of some of the stuff that you mentioned because of the fact that it's a road game and this is the first time that Notre Dame has been there in what eight years and then I would put USC at number three even with the quarterback I you know there there's still some uncertainties with them yeah and role. I
2: trust Ryan Day and Davos Sweeney as a coach more than I trust Lincoln Riley right like Lincoln Riley to me, made his money on running up the score in the Big Twelve and capitalizing on having really explosive offenses, lack of defenses. Um, but I, I think Ryan Day and Dabo Sweeney have been in the trenches more of like big games, right? Like, it, like Lincoln Riley hasn't won the big games. You know, the postseason games, the playoff games, etc. He can win in the regular season, but. I mean, those are against, again, he can run his offense and run up the score against bad Pac-12 defenses, bad Big 12 defenses, but when he gets to play in some of these, you know, more defensive-minded, strong-willed teams, I think he runs into a little bit more issues, so I also trust Davos Sweeney and Ryan Day as a coach uh, more so than I do Lincoln Riley.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I hesitate, <laughs> I hesitate to bring this up. Um but I'm just going to go ahead and do it because, well, well, first, before we do that, Quinn says he's going to be at the Clemson game too. So he wants to meet up and uh, talk shop about your hat. So very, <laughs> we can do that in your hat. Yes. Um, this is what I hesitate to bring up, but Crying Belly is here and he says, We're so screwed this year if Hartman is named QB1. Um, you know, there's there's really no if about it we know at this point i mean like there would have at least been some if if tyler buckner were still here but you know hartman says or uh Cryen says hartman contributed to duke's success on that front i feel like you're just a hot take artist you know masquerading as a, a guy in the chat crying like are you just trying to push everyone's buttons on this Hartman only threw one interception against Duke last year so okay yeah he he contributed to it how many how many interceptions did Tyler Buckner and and Drew Pine contribute to Marshall's turnover numbers last year you know and I'm not trying to take shots at them but let's be honest three interceptions contributed greatly to the outcome of that game let let me just ask you this Jesse to to kind of put you know, maybe some sort of real question to this on Hartman. Do you have any real concern about the fact that Sam Hartman has thrown 27 interceptions in the last two seasons?
2: I'm nowhere near concerned because he had the entire backpack of the offense on his back, right? They only had success when he threw the ball downfield and they asked him to throw the ball a ton downfield. And so naturally when, you know, let's let's say – let's say a team asks a quarterback to throw the ball 50 times in a game per game. And they ask a quarterback to throw the ball 75 times per game. The guy who's throwing 75 naturally is throwing the ball 25 more times per game. That's going to lead to a higher probability of interceptions being thrown. That's just naturally, you know, what's going to happen, right? Like if you're asked to, ball, to throw the ball a lot and the, the, the basis of an offense is completely relied on throwing the ball there's going to be interceptions. Sam Hartman knew he had to make plays and probably forced windows that were a little tight, but they, he knew if he didn't make those plays, they probably weren't going to win. They weren't going to stay in games, etc. And the other reason I think I'm not too concerned is the ACC is the common denominator in this equation. Sam Hartman is still going to play a majority ACC schedule while at Notre Dame. And when he saw, we saw what he did against majority ACC teams against Wake Forest. He had success. I think that there would be a little bit more concern if maybe he was going ACC to, you know, maybe a big 10 schedule, because I would say the big 10 defenses generally are better than, you know, ACC defenses. But again, the common denominator in both of these cases is Sam Hartman was asked to throw in the ball a lot. And he was asked to throw the ball against ACC defenses. He's going to be asked to throw the ball less at Notre Dame because there's going to be more of a run game presence. Right. Um, and the, the, the again, the defenses are majority going to be the same. So, I am not overly concerned. I think actually Sam Hartman's interception ratio is going to go down this year because he's going to have better looks, cleaner pockets, um, and again the, the run game is going to open up the secondary a little bit more. I think I think Sam Hartman's going to be playing chess this year compared to maybe playing you know checkers two years ago. I just think he's going to that being at Notre Dame and having a, a legit run game and a, a clean pocket to stand in is just going to make his game so much more easier. He's going to be a surgeon out there almost just kind of picking apart where he wants to go with the ball he knows defense he knows how to manipulate defenses so I just I you can't replace that experience you know he's up there all time and passing yards touchdowns etc for a reason
1: they were not a running football team Wake Forest was not a running football team it's going to be a different system and again we, we talked about it not that long ago, was it earlier this week? These these, rapid-fire questions and everything else start to blend in. I think it was you and I talking about it, about the yards gained before the catch that Notre Dame had last year compared to what Wake Forest had last year, and the fact that Sam Hartman is going to make this a much more vertical offense. And that, just by being in place, is going to help the run game out as well. And I just... You know, you're you're still talking about a guy. He threw six touchdown passes against Clemson last year. You know, you've got a direct comparison with Drew Pine. How many touchdowns did Drew Pine throw against Clemson last year? He didn't even throw for 100 yards. It's
2: it's even crazier because Clemson had to game plan Wake Forest to be, we can't let Sam Hartman beat us. And Sam Hartman beat them. And, And at Notre Dame, it was, we can't let the run game beat us. And still, Pine couldn't throw the ball effectively knowing that, that Clemson wanted to first and foremost shut down the short underneath routes in the run game. So in a game plan where you know, they were preparing for pass against, against Wake Forest, Sam Hartman still put up way better ungodly numbers uh, in a game plan that was really trying to limit Notre Dame's run game. And, and the pass game should have been there more for Drew Pine.
1: Yeah, DJ saying that that the uh, offense, the offensive line last year was horrible. That you know, that's that's something as well. He's thrown so he threw. I think I might have said seventeen. It is sixteen interceptions Sam Hartman threw in his last two seasons at Wake Forest. Twelve last year, fourteen the year before that. But oh, by the way, seventy-seven combined touchdowns. That's that's a pretty good touchdown to interception ratio. But he was also sacked 69 times in those two seasons combined. 34 times he was sacked last year, 35 two years ago. So that plays big factor as well. He's going to have a much better offensive line at Notre Dame, plus the running game that is going to, you know, again, help complement what he is doing in the passing game. So uh, it's, you know, there, it's just not apples to apples when you're talking about the switch. And we got just a glimpse of it in that spring game, some of the stuff that he was doing out there in the passing game. So I don't have any large concerns. I almost had a Hartman question in rapid fire today, but I will bring it to you tomorrow, kind of a little bit along the lines of what we're talking about here, but also a little bit different. Go ahead and shoot your questions in. If you haven't had a chance so far, the the phone lines are open. (laughs) You can... You can get him in right now. Uh, Salty says Romlock Carrad self-imposed a ban on himself after Notre Dame lost Justin Scott. He is back now. Is this the good thing or should his self-imposed ban have lasted longer? What do you think, Jace uh, Jesse?
2: Um, ooh, uh, I I think uh, I think we can let him back in. You know, any self-imposed ban is long enough. For me, I would never give myself a self-imposed band. I would never suspend myself. So for someone to get ahead of the curve and say, hey, I need to, I'm the reason why here. I'm the common denominator. I'm okay to sit a couple out and come back. So to me, I'm glad he's back. And I think it was a a mature move of him to give himself that self-imposed band.
1: That's right. I think he kind of peeked in maybe late in the show yesterday, but uh I think you're right. You know, it was, I, I think he put himself in timeout long enough. He needed to be back, you know, among his friends. And so here he is, like Carrot. And he wants to know what Tommy Reese's first year record as Northwestern head football coach will be. Ooh, that's
2: a good question. And I, I, I think there's two things to get into this question, obviously, is one, Tommy Reese going to be a uh, college head football coach, I will say no, but I will entertain the idea of him going to Northwestern because of the the fit, right? Like he knows what it's like to coach at a um, academically strenuous uh, university and what kind of, you know, personnel and players you can kind of work with in that scenario um, I, I don't see him having an above 500 record in his first season. I, you know, Northwestern isn't the, 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 sexy big 10 school, um, to go to, um, in terms of recruiting and kind of keeping up with, you know, right now, Ohio state, Michigan, Illinois, Michigan state, et cetera. Like, I just don't think that you're going to be able to keep up in the first couple of years and, I think with, you know, Rutgers having new or sorry, Wisconsin having new head coaches, uh, Nebraska having new head coaches. I think they're ultimately going to get ahead of Northwestern on that front. So I would say that his first season would be a solid six and six or five and seven. But again, that's assuming he's going there. Yeah. I, I don't think that's happening. I think his aspirations are a segue to the NFL.
1: I think he went to Alabama to ultimately have a chance to become an NFL head coach. That's what I think that that move is about, you know, he wants to be, you know, like every, every, not everything that he said, but some of the stuff, you know, like, I think it was two, you know, training camps ago or whenever it was, you know, when we got to talk to him, he sat there and he talked about watching every NFL game and breaking down every NFL game from the previous season, you know, so like NFL, you know, he's, he's worked for a little bit in the NFL with the chargers and, he, I asked him straight up, you know, um, again, this has been a little bit more than a year ago, and and he gave me one of those non-answer answers, you know, well, I am where my feet are planted and, and that kind of stuff. I think he wants to be in the NFL. I don't think he wants to be a college head football coach. I would not be surprised if he, you know, at least is offered the opportunity to interview for Northwestern. He would make sense since he's both obviously has a, a a background of of coaching and playing at a, at a private school like Notre Dame and he's also worked at Northwestern before you know prior to uh to coming to Notre Dame and prior to his his Chargers experience but uh, I don't I don't think he wants to be a head football coach I would say first season if it does happen he would be 5 and 7 just where you know that would be what I would put on it but again I don't think that's going to happen but you know all right a few more questions that are rolling you got, some,
2: you got some up there i've seen at least three or four m mbs in the uh in the chat
1: All right. there's one from i'll throw okay. this one up from dt most fan bases are optimistic this time of year what is wrong with no name fans
2: I think as Notre Dame fans, we've just kind of all seen it before, right? And this is – this is Notre Dame gets the hype every, every season, right? And so the hype kind of wears off. You're kind of tired of it, right? Like you want to – it's one thing to be hyped, but it's another thing to not win a championship since 1988 and have the expectations of pretty much a championship or bust every year. And so if Notre Dame fans don't feel like – you know, they're up to par with those kind of what, you know, the Georgias, the Alabamas, the Ohio States in the world, it's very easy to compare and contrast. And you start kind of nitpicking of, you know, uh, hey, we, this is, we're, we're not quite good for X, Y, and Z, or yeah, we got Sam Hartman, but Sam Hartman's not good for X, Y, and Z and et cetera, and et cetera. I just think that as Notre Dame fans, there's just too high of expectations every year. So you kind of get blinded by things that you should generally be optimistic about. I don't know, per se, having Sam Hartman be the transfer quarterback um, and, and coming in and having the opportunity to play on a talented roster. Like I am optimistic and very excited about that this season.
1: Well, I, I feel like there's definitely there's at the very least, you know, some combativeness from Notre Dame fans. You know, like there might be some pessim you know, some pessimism, you know, like with Crying Belly being on the extreme, you know, but at the same time. <laughs> There are plenty of fans who are fairly optimistic. It's when it's when some of the national people start pushing back and and telling Notre Dame, "Well, you're only going to win eight or nine games," or you know, like you know, CJ Carr is is now the 14th best quarterback. You know, which you know, I agree that that's a stupid take anyway. CJ, when we talked about that yesterday, but whatever it happens to be, it's when people, it's when some of the national people start you know, saying stuff, well, Notre Dame, this is this is their ceiling. That's when Notre Dame people really, you know, I don't know if, if, if it's necessarily full-blown optimism, but it's definitely when they start pushing back. I feel like there's a decent amount of optimism, but I also feel like there's still some of that Brian Kelly, you know, post-Brian Kelly PTSD hanging around. You know, to an extent, they do still have to go and show that they can prove it. And there are enough questions with the staff, like, you know, the whole you know, the, the Andy Ludwig to Jared Parker, you know, and obviously Tommy Reese, you know, going to Alabama, yeah, started that, it, you know, there's, there's enough doubt, I think, and, and enough, you know, change that there are some legitimate questions that still have to be answered, especially after an eight and four season last year.
2: Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing is a first year coach coming off, you know, it, Marcus streams coming off his first season ever as a college football head coach. Um, the quarterback that, and then the, you know, the quarterback carousel of, you know, Buckner getting hurt, Pine being the replacement, Pine being, you know, Pine transferring, Buckner transferring, Hartman coming in, a lot of new coaches. Um, You know, obviously the biggest is Jared Parker and the offense. Nobody knows what that offense is going to look like, right? We at least had the comfortability of knowing what a Tommy Reese offense is going to look like. So there's just, there's a lot of moving pieces, um, and then coming off in, coming off a disappointing eight and four season and, and not knowing definite answers i think definitely fuels the fire uh to some to some degree
1: yes the bitter aftertaste of last year's expectations and how quickly it all unraveled understandably leaves some weary well said stymie snurdly. speaking of someone we haven't heard as much from recently very well said stymie i've got to agree with that James, in your best informed opinion, who do you foresee playing behind Estime as far as rotation goes, i.e. one-two punch like Estime Diggs? I fully expect, and again, we did our, our player rankings 1 through 10 on the roster yesterday. I've got Jadarian Price at number 10 on my roster. As I said yesterday, Diggs and Estime combined for over 1,700 yards last year. Bo- you know, very respectable for both of them, you know, with with SMA at, what, 920 and and Diggs, I think, at 821. And Jadarian Price was going to be ahead of both of them if he was healthy last year. So I fully expect Jadarian Price to be the guy. But we'll find out relatively soon what things look like once training camp gets going, I think.
2: Yeah, I think uh, what you're going to see is SMA is going to be the guy. He's going to be about the 50% workload guy. And then at least to start the season, I think Jadarian Price and Jabron Payne are going to be the about 25% and 25% to start the season. And I think really it's up for the taking between those two who, who wants to go out and get more, um, you know, ball carrying opportunities. But again, in my opinion, I think SMA is going to be the lead, you know, guy in terms of workload. And then to start the season, Jabron um, Payne and Jadarian Price are going to split whatever is remaining and essentially fight for, you know, who's going to get majority of those carries out of those two guys. Um, and I don't think that that means, you know, if the split goes to, I don't think it's going to be like 50-50 between whoever Estime is. Estime is one and whoever is two. I don't think they're going to get ever get a full, you know, load that Estime that would get. And I think that whoever is deemed the number three back is still going to get opportunities, right? Like it's still going to be a lot like last year of, Diggs, Tyree, um, and Estime all got carries. I think that's gonna be the same between estimate, um, pain and price. I just think estimate is going to get the most no matter what, and then the other two are gonna to have to kind of fight for and prove yeah. that they're gonna get, you know, whatever chunk they're gonna get, essentially.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's you know, I, I, and we're gonna see a lot of these guys. So I don't think it's gonna be. I don't think it's going to be just one, two. I think we're going to see a lot of them and I'm kind of looking forward to that. You know, Jabron Payne showed that he's fully capable when he had his opportunity. The question is going to be when you, when you, you know, when you've got a full complement in there and you've got an incoming freshman freshman in Jeremiah Love as well, where is it all going to go? But I fully expect Jadarian Price is going to be, you know, the guy who kind of gets that first look, maybe along with Payne because of the spring that he had, but, I expect Price to be right in there and and be a big part of this explosive part of this offense this year. He's a guy who can make it go. Tim wants to know, what do you expect the efficiency of the offense to look like compared to last year? Over, under 40 touchdowns? Um, So we're talking touchdown
2: passes? Is that what we're talking about here? I think he's just talking about uh, touchdowns and general. Well, that's got to be... That, that's only three touchdowns per game, and I think they're going to score say, look, more than three touchdowns the total, per game. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I'm going to take this in the regular season, right, just the 12-game regular season. Uh, if we're looking at the efficiency of the offense to look like compared to last year, I think – did you figure out how many total touchdowns they had last year? Oh, I'm
1: looking right now. I'm looking. I'll, I'll oh, you know, he's, saying,
2: saying. he's saying points per game. He's saying points per game. He oh, eliminated. points per game.
1: Okay, so not – so not touchdowns, but points. Again, this is something that I just kind of spent some time looking at today, the scoring. The most points a Notre Dame football team has scored in a season, Fifty in 1968, it was like 37.6 points. Two years ago, I believe their average was 36, like 36 and a half, something like that. Sam Hartman's Wake Forest team scored around 36 points per game. I expect it to be somewhere. Like, here's what's interesting. The top six teams in the nation last year in scoring offense, and you know, included among that group were virtual all four of the college football playoff teams were in the top 10. And might have even been in the top six. I can look that up here in just a second, but they they but they all You know, they were scoring in that 39 to 40 point range. The top six teams in the nation, which included Michigan, were scoring 40 points or better last year. The more you can score, the better. But like TCU was number nine and they were like 38, 39 points a game. I expect Notre Dame to be sitting somewhere around 37 points per game. I think that that would be very reasonable to expect this season around 37 points a game.
2: Yeah, you kind of took my thunder. I don't think that they're necessarily going to hit forty a game because that's that's just that's kind of crazy. That's, I mean, that's like Ohio State. It's numbers. elite.
1: If you if you do if they're if they're averaging forty, you know, considering the defenses that they're going to play, if they're a, if they do end up averaging forty, then that means they've won at least two of those big three games. I think.
2: Yeah, and um, I just like forty again. That's like. That's like Ohio State when they put up, like, you know, 60 points against Rutgers and don't care about running up the score and and just just let it rip against some of these bad teams that they play. So, to me, I think with some of these new clock rules, that number is going to naturally lose a little bit. Um, I don't think they get to 40. I think they're above 30. Um, I I think they're between, like, the 33 and 38 range. If I sat, like, a a min and a max, that's kind of where I'm at, 33 to 38 points.
1: I still don't think – I still don't think this new clock rule is going to, you know, like shorten things as much as a lot of people are expecting. You know, I've seen, you know, between 10 and 15 plays per game, basically. You know, like, I don't, I think the biggest effect is going to be, you know, because so many teams are still running some sort of tempo offense that I I feel like the biggest effect is going to, you know, be like late in the half when, you know, like you get a first down and now the clock doesn't stop or, or you know, like you're in the two-minute drill and the clock doesn't stop, you know, those those kind of things. The, the clock runs a little bit more. I just, I don't think it's going to have a huge effect overall. I, I think you're going to see, you know, you're going to lose some plays per game, but I don't, I don't think it's going to be a huge number that ends up being lopped off. That's just what I personally think, but we're going to have to, you know, again, it's we're going to have to wait and see as this thing goes along exactly what, what that looks like. But I don't think it's going to have a huge effect myself.
2: I just have one question for Crying Belly. Do you enjoy being a Notre Dame fan? <laughs> like, do you get up in the morning and say, I'm thankful for being a Notre Dame fan, or do you just instantly find things to be upset about? Like, I just genuinely want to know. Like, are, do you like? We all, you know, sit up here and can get angry and can talk about, you know, this and that. But, like, I just don't know. Like, does he enjoy being a Notre Dame fan or not? That's really what I, I, I want to know at the end of the day.
1: <laughs> I think my bigger question is, like, do you enjoy, you know, a casual cocktail? Because maybe <laughs> if you don't, the cocktail could be the way to go. Now, you know, I'm, I'm obviously saying in the comfort of your living room or wherever it <laughs> happened to be, you know, not, not just – Going crazy, he says. I just want to win, man. I get it, I get it, but you know, sadly, this guy do doesn't always. Isn't going to be help you either. compared
2: to <laughs> Sam Hartman. Sam Hartman's going to help you win more. Crying, really. <laughs> that's right.
1: <laughs> okay, so DJ asking, wondering what Jade Mickey's role will be this year, and I think that's a good question because you've got obviously Cam Hart and Benjamin Morrison as the corners and like for right now, at least coming into the seat, you know, we don't expect Jade Mickey to unseat either one of those guys, but he's, he's, you know, behind Cam Hart in the field corner, you know, and then you've got kind of a little bit of a log jam in terms of the nickel position where we would expect uh, Thomas Harper to be. And where we, you know, like Clarence Lewis got a lot of work in the spring and, and that kind of thing. So I think at the very least Jaden Mickey is a key reserve with a lot of upside and what exactly that role looks like that's you know that's that's maybe kind of a question that that we can pose you know to to Marcus Freeman or try to get some visuals on as we see what kind of work that he's getting during fall camp because you know the reps the reps tend to, and you can kind of speak to this, Jess. The the reps tend to switch once you get to fall camp compared to spring camp.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's. Uh, I'll address that one very right now. It it in <laughs> the spring camp, coaches are. Oh, it's okay. You know, we're learning. We're teaching the younger guys stuff here. Uh huh. They're getting their reps. By the time you get to fall, you mess up. It's no longer. Oh, it's it's okay. It's it's full on yelling, screaming. And let's, you know, the, the one and twos are going to get majority of the reps um, come spring. And, you know, whatever's left over, the threes will get. I mean, outside of that, there's not reps. Uh, put it like this. In spring ball, there's reps to go around for everyone. In fall practice, reps go one and two and maybe they a little shrink. bit of your three. Um, yes. And, and the, 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 the tempo and the expectations are different turned up drastically. Right. There's just no longer room for mistakes um, because essentially you're preparing for the season, you know, and and if you can only go as far as what you as a team are willing to accomplish. Right. And so the more you're able to learn and catch on, the faster and more developed that team can get for game one. And that's Marcus Freeman's job is to get them prepared as a team for game one. And in in, in the spring, it's really just a time to feel out where exactly everyone's kind of at and, and get an idea of depth chart by the time the fall camp rolls around. And so when fall c- camp comes around, you kind of have a nice, you know, uh, pecking order of who's going to be where. And it's time to go at that point. There's really no more time of, uh, you know, everyone. The, the participation participation trophies are over. You know, it's not everyone right. getting reps. It's the guys who are going to be playing on Saturday and contributing. To, to to the success of the team essentially.
1: Mm-hmm. Crian's brother Tyler uh wants to know do you think this is gonna be the most overrated team this year that everyone is building hype around? i was trying to find this question
2: and I <laughs> I understand there's a lot of hype and I my 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 answer will be no um because I, I don't think that this team is overrated. I think this team has very good parts. I think that we are maybe overrating what the potential of one player can do and how far they can carry it. But yeah. again, I'm optimistic about that one player because of everything else that's surrounding him. It's not like Sam Hartman's walking into a room full of crap. He's walking into a very solid offensive line. He's walking into a running back room that has tons of depth. He's walking into a wide receiver room that has ton of athleticism, but it's relatively unproven, right? So his job is to, to help those wide receivers develop throughout the season And then you look at the other side of the ball, they have a very, very elite uh, secondary. I think that their linebackers played well last year, and uh, I think they get underappreciated, and they're going to take another step forward this season. I think their defensive line as a unit is going to have tons of depth. So I just think that everything surrounding Sam Hartman is only going to um, allow him to to escalate Notre Dame as a whole. But if he was walking into – you know, just average or mediocre at everything I just kind of listed, then yeah, I would say that we're kind of overrating or overhyping him. But when you look at the surrounding cast around him, I think that he was the final piece of the puzzle um that, that can really put them over the top this season.
1: Yeah, I think it's curious that we just had a question a few minutes ago about should Notre Dame fans be more optimistic basically and now Tyler is saying is this the most overrated team this year that everyone's building hype around. So again, there are both spectrums, you know. I think it's, you know, there there's definitely some pessimists and there are some maybe who are being overly optimistic, but I completely agree with what you're talking about. If anything, we are we are building, you know, to to Cryan's point, you know, this is, you know, like Again, he takes it to the extreme, but to his point, there is a lot of hype and a lot on Sam Hartman and what he can do for this offense. But as we've already talked about, he's going to have an offensive line and a running game like he never had at Wake Forest. And he is the piece that Notre Dame has not had for what? Like almost a decade and a half now at this point in terms of the quarterback, a guy who can stretch it downfield. And when you combine those teams or combine those two concepts, really good offensive line with really good running game and running backs and a quarterback that can stretch it down field. I, I think it's going to be, I think it's this, this stands a chance to be the most fun offense that we've seen at Notre Dame and maybe, you know, like since, since Quinn and Samarja and those guys were hooking up basically. That's... oh, I
2: found a really good question that you didn't star, but I wanted to, okay. to get into. Um, there was actually two of them, and they were both from DT Roll Hunter. He just kind of went on like a spree, and I noticed them and I wanted to get to them. I'll ask you uh, this one first. What would you what would be more surprising, Notre Dame's rush defense being top five or Notre Dame's passing yards being top five per game?
1: Okay, so rush defense, top five, yes, or what.
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: That's a really good question because, you know, again, I was just digging into a lot of different stats and and stuff like that. And when you look at where Notre Dame's rush defense was last year, it was actually fairly, you know, respectable. It just cracked
2: it when they needed it
1: to be at its strongest. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, like, number one in the nation last year was Georgia at around 77 yards per game allowed. Michigan was number seven. Notre Dame was really not far off the pace. They allowed 131 yards per game. Now, to get that much better, you know, you're basically going to have to cut that in half. you got to be under 100 to
2: be considered. Yeah.
1: Exactly. You know, like I think they can push that at least you know, like Ohio State was 25th, allowing 121 yards per game. Notre Dame was 37, allowing 131. So they weren't you know, they were they were like an above average team that was still far from being elite. I can't see with the personnel that they have making that kind of leap from one season to the next to become that kind of elite offense. Now, it would still be a pretty good jump for them, you know, to to jump into that top five in terms of passing offense, but adding Sam Hartman and having the receivers, Tobias Merriweather, Jaden Thomas, Chris Tyree, you know, plus the freshman, you know, whichever one or or two or, you know, however many end up being out there, I would give the passing, you know, I still don't think it's going to happen, but I would give the passing offense a lot better chance of cracking top five than the rushing defense i still think the rushing defense can push up toward top 15 top 20 but i don't think top five is probably realistic for this year
2: yeah i'm gonna have to say um that i would be more surprised if the run defense was top five just because of what goes into that and how hard that is to overall accomplish and i i think that um I would be surprised if Notre Dame's passing offense was top five as well, because I think they're going to get a lot of help from the run game. So they're not necessarily going to need, you know, that kind of passing output. So I would be generally surprised by both of them, but I would say being a top five rushing defense, I would be more surprised at just because of how more relatively difficult it would be. Uh, And basically for what you were kind of going into, I, I just think that it, granted, that their linebackers are good, but I don't think Notre Dame ultimately plays a scheme that it that wants to be a top five rushing defense, um, in college football. I think there's a lot of give and take in their defense, right? Like, I think there's you know, it, it's it's a gap sound. I don't think they're trying to ultimately be shut down in one thing, I, I just think that they want to be uh, top 20 in passing and rushing at, at the end of the day. And I'm not saying that. And given the opportunity that they that they wouldn't take being a top five rushing defense, I just think that they kind of know who they are, and, and again, I think they're more of a, a well-rounded, balanced overall defense uh, in comparison.
1: Yeah. Tim asks, how much better should this? I think he's saying receiving core be facing Benjamin Morrison and Cam, et cetera. And I think this is a really good point. And you you tend to see this like we've seen it, especially when it comes to offensive line, defensive line, like in training camps where there has been questions with one of the lines and the other line tends to be a whole lot better. Like those training and last year wasn't, you know, we saw some of it in the spring, I believe it was, you know, like where you see some of those training camp battles, like the the one side tends to make the other better. And uh, I, I completely agree with that. You know, there, there is some inexperience, but between again, adding Sam Hartman and the fact that these guys have to go up against the likes of Benjamin Morrison and Cam Hart quite often. I I do think that that is, is really going to push them and help make them better.
2: Yeah. I think this is a relatively kind of easier question to answer because I mean, this goes to, you know, the Michael Jordans, the Kobe Bryants, the et ceteras of the world you want in order to be great. That's determined at practice. Right. Game time is when you show up and just play. Uh, there's not not a lot you can do once the game has started. Right. Like it, it, it would be like uh, running, you know, running. Say you're running track and your mile time was consistently, you know, seven minutes, seven minutes. And then you expected just to run a six minute mile. On meat day, just because it's meat day, that's not how it's going to work. These guys are only going to get better, you know, by being pushed in practice. And I think having people like Benjamin Morrison, um, and Cam Hart, and Jaden Mickey, and et cetera on the back end, I mean, they're going to push you. They're just as competitive as the wide receivers, right? Just as bad as the wide receiver wants to catch the ball, the cornerback wants to get the interception, or you know, defend the play well, etc. And when you're going against someone who was an all-American as a freshman and as a preseason all-American again this year. That's just going to make everyone better. It's going to drive mm-hmm. up competitiveness, and it's just overall, it's just going to make everyone better, both in, in both rooms, wide receivers and DBs.
1: I concur. I completely concur with that. Yep. Um, Tyler Evans, thanks for the super chat. He says he meant to say nationally overrated, not Notre Dame. I believe Notre Dame is going to go eleven and one. All right. Thank you much for the clarification there. Um, Where was this other one? Okay, this one. Saw this. Josh Buffo, or Buffo, the motivational business banker, says he asked Brian this earlier. You can pick one of each position listed to play for this season's team. Brady Quinn or Jimmy Clausen, Michael Floyd or Jeff Samarja. Louis Nix or Stefan Tuitt. So you get one of each of those groups. Who are you going with? You can pick one of each position. So you're going between Brady Quinn and Jimmy Clausen. You get one of those two. You get Michael Floyd or Jeff Samarja, one of those two. And then either Nick's or it one of those two.
2: Huh, ha, 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 ha. I would go Brady Quinn over Jimmy Clausen. I would go i mean michael floyd and jeff samarja are basically the
1: same wide receiver so that's a little that's a little tough um if i'm taking quinn i'm probably going with samarja since they paired up so much (laughs)
2: yeah you know (laughs) i just think that i think michael floyd's frame is a little bit better i think he's just a little bit more physical And that's not to take away from Samarja, but I would just trust Floyd to go up and and get more of those 50-50 balls. You know, Samarja was just a really good deep down field threat. He wasn't a type of wide receiver who's necessarily going to go up. He's not like a Dez Bryant type wide receiver, right? Like he's not going to go up. I also
1: like what he can do after the ball. You know, I'm not not saying I don't like what Floyd did, but I like what Samarja did after the ball a little bit better. That's
2: true. So you're going Samarja. I think I would go Floyd. Um, And then in terms of the defense, I would go Lewis Nix because I think that they need an internal run stuffer. Um, And I think that would help overall with those kind of, uh, you know, those 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 run those run plays in key situations. Like he's automatically going to draw a double team. He's automatically probably going to stuff one of the A gaps. Like I I would definitely just his presence alone is an automatic double team.
1: So I would have to go with Lewis Nix. Yep, absolutely. Uh, I'm going now. Again, they've got a a really good quarterback, so it's not like quarterback is a position of need for this team. But, you know, for this exercise, I would go with Quinn over Clawson. I mean, he's, you know, one of the best quarterbacks. I mean, they're, they're both two of the best quarterbacks in program history, but I would go with Quinn. He definitely won more games. Again, I would go with Samarja for the reasons we listed and the fact that if I'm going with Quinn, it makes sense to go with Samarja since that's where all of Samarja's yards came from and completely agree with what you said spot on with lewis nicks they need they need that more physical pre- like 2012 lewis nicks on this year you weren't running on them yeah exactly exactly
2: so that's, i had i had another weird. one i wanted to get to with dt roll hunter and these these are just fun i think these are like uh, it's very similar to the first question um that he posed about the um what would be more surprising so this one is what would be more surprising Notre Dame having a thousand yard receiver and running back or three defensive backs with three plus interceptions
1: oh my goodness so one (laughs) K, one receiver plus running back or three dbs
2: with three interceptions
1: uh I'm gonna go the thousand yard receiver and running back. Really, you, know, you think
2: that'd be more surprising? I'm the opposite. Oh, oh more
1: surprising. I, I'm sorry. I thought you said which is more <laughs> likely to happen. Yeah, the the yeah, yeah. I de- I think the I think the the thousand yard duo is more likely to happen. So the oh, the I think three, that's
2: almost a guarantee. I think that I'm SMA not able to read hit the a question thousand. on the
1: screen. So it's like I'm I'm, I'm yeah. processing. So yeah, I the the three defensive. You know, because I mean, look, you know, just just look at last year. You know, I I think they're going to get more turnovers earlier on this year. And it was basically Benjamin Morrison getting everything. I think I think Morrison and Hart each have a chance to get it. And I guess maybe a safety ends up having a chance to get it as well. But I still think that that would be a little bit more surprising based on recent history.
2: Yeah, so uh, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with, uh, I think that they, they will crack a thousand yard receiver. I think it's going to be Tobias Merweather. I think they're going to crack a thousand-yard rusher, and that's going to be Audric Estime. Um, and then I think that if the question was three DBs with two interceptions, I would take the DBs. But that's just I, I, three is a good year for a, a DB, right? That that means you're getting an interception in one in in four games. You're getting every four games, you're getting one interception. That's that's pretty solid. Um, so I'm I'm more likely to say that the thousand yards um, happen. And again crying belly coming out here and saying the dbs would be some more surprising but let's be real neither are going to happen this isn't the pessimism uh, that i need you know like
1: <laughs> and by the way johnny's saying fellas his name is d troll hunter i always have problems with it it looks like you know like maybe there needs to be some spaces in there or he needs to put the dashes in there you know everyone knows <laughs> like what we're talking about it's just easier to say dt you know it's like that's just the way it is <laughs> A lot of great questions tonight, both uh, you know optimistic, pessimistic, whatever they happen to be. A lot of uh, good ones, much appreciated.